to open your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 3 as we continue on in our study of uh, the messages that the Lord gave to John, the Revelator, to give to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we've entitled the series, Church Up. I don't know if you've used that phrase at all lately, but maybe if you see somebody that's kind of down in the dumps about things and how things are going with them, would you just say to them, church up? Like we said, man up or or woman up to somebody that's not acting like a man or somebody that's not acting like a woman, we say man up, woman up. Maybe if somebody's not acting like a church member, like a Christian, maybe you say to them, church up. I don't know. I hope that catches on. Maybe one day. It will. This church that we're going to see at Sardis today, we're looking at the church of Sardis in chapter 3 of Revelation. This church was, and what it represents is, the older established churches throughout the world who need a fresh awakening of God. They need to be revitalized. This church was living in the glory days. They were basking in the fading light of their sunset years when they should have been fanning the flames of revival. They were called to be the light and not fade into the night. And this is true for the established church today. The church in America today. This is what God would say to us. He would say, rise up, awaken Up out of your sleep and out of your slumber. Let the light of Christ shine upon you. Receive a fresh wind of God's Spirit into you. This is what He wants for us today. You know what we call that? We call that revival. How many of you want revival in our church? In our day, in our time? I do. Amen. Amen. Do you want it? Well, you need to heed this message. The message to the church It's Sarda. If you got your Bible open there, your tablet, your smartphone, whatever it is, open up to your Bible app. Open that up. Stand up with us and let us read together Revelation chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you are alive. You who keep Israel will never sleep nor slumber. Lord, you never grow tired or weary. Lord, there may be some here today that spiritually we've fallen asleep. 
We've gotten complacent. Our apathy and our lethargy has paralyzed us. Father, I pray for those of us in this place that in some area of our life where we are neglecting to do what you have called us to do, that today we would renew our commitment to you. We would renew our faithfulness to you, Lord, and that we would say, Lord, whatever it is that you want from our lives, Lord, you can have it all. You, you take from us what you want to take, and Lord, you put within us what you want to put into us. And Lord, we will serve you faithfully with our hands and our feet and with the things we say. Lord Jesus, wake your church up today. Wake us up so that we might serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You ever feel a little tired and maybe you're uh, at work or, or maybe you're sitting studying or reading and you just have to stop for a minute and stretch and get up and maybe yawn a bit or two, maybe get a cup of coffee, something like that. Slap yourself on the face. Splash some water on your face. I remember when we were at camp uh, one year, Taylor, my son, my oldest son, who's in the Coast Guard now, so proud of him, by the way. Um, he, he was at... Yeah, you can clap for Taylor. I can't take credit for him. I don't know what in the world I did right or wrong. I just... I was there. and uh, But Taylor is awesome. And... Uh, pray for him, praying for him every day. But when, when he was a little bit younger, he had a problem with uh, wanting to get up out of the bed sometimes. And uh, he doesn't have that problem now. They get him up. Um, but uh, when we were at camp one year, we were it's uh, Pine Hills Christian Camp over in Louisiana. And uh, they uh, couldn't get him up. So they came and they got me. I said, we can't get Taylor up. And I went in, I shook him, I said, Taylor, wake up, wake up, it's time to wake up, you got to get up. He wouldn't get up, he rolled over, uh, whatever. And I said, finally, I said, Taylor, if you don't wake up, I'm going to get you up. And he still didn't get up. I said, well, I'm going to pull you out of the bed if you don't get up. And he still didn't get up. So I started to pull him out of the bed and he resisted, very violently resisted. And so I I said, I got one last thing I can do. I went and got a cup of cold water, and I dumped it on him. Now, I don't know if he remembers that or not, but I was traumatized by that event. I'd never had to do something so mean to my son, but I needed him to get up out of the bed. And I don't know what the Lord Jesus is, how far he's willing to go with the church. I know he loves us. He loves his church. This is the one church where the Lord Jesus gets straight into the complaint and then gives the compliment later. And I would say, Jesus is, of all the, all the churches and all the things that they had done, and all the ones that were wrong, even the one that was tolerating that woman Jezebel, Thyatira, Jesus was most fed up with this church. The sleeping church. The church that knew better, that had been there the longest and really should have been the church serving greater than any other church. This church should have been that. Instead, this church was asleep at the wheel, not doing what it was called to do, neglecting ministry, neglecting service, neglecting the works that the Lord had called them to do. Now, the Lord begins 
by saying, write this, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. The, seven, the, word, the number seven is uh, emblematic of perfection. It represents perfection. And, and so when you see that number seven, any, any time in the book of Revelation, it talks about the perfect place of the dwelling of God with his people. And then he says the seven spirits, and that relates to chapter one, as Jesus is revealed in chapter one as the one having the seven spirits. What is that? Well, the seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit, the spirit of Jesus that's in the church. How many of you believe that the spirit of Jesus is here? You believe that? I believe that with all my heart. I've experienced his presence today. And Jesus is reminding the church that he's the one that enables the church. He's the one that drives the church. It is the power of God that is within the church that causes the church to do what the church does for the glory of God. It's not you and it's not me. It's what he does through us. So really, all He needs from us is to be willing for Him to use us. But that was the problem with the church. They weren't willing to be used by God. They decided that either they weren't worthy of being used or that they didn't really care. This church, which had risen to the heights of prosperity... Great works were done in that great town. Great monuments to civilization were erected and adorned in the streets of Sardis. But Sardis went through drastic decline in the first century. And the same way, the church had gone into decline. Dr. Vance Havner said, It started with a man, one faithful man, sharing the gospel, and then that became a movement. Then a machine, a well-old church machine. And finally, it was nothing but a monument to pass glory. It was established with great reputation. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I know your works. Jesus is saying, I know, I know everything that you've done. I know your past history. I know what, you've, what you're doing now. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. When people pass by the church of Sardis, they said, wow, look at that. Isn't that amazing? God did a great thing one day back there. And he looks at the churches today that litter our countryside and, they, and he says, to those uh, people say about those churches, wow, look at those great churches. And the Lord Jesus says the same thing. You're dead. Now, dead is a euphemism for being spiritually lethargic. They were frozen in lethargy. And that just simply means, I don't want to. Because the Lord Jesus says, I want you to serve me. And I want you to serve with gladness. And He calls us to stir up one another toward love and good deeds. But a lethargic church says, I don't want to. And sometimes we hide that unwillingness and that lethargy in this phrase. Well, I can't. Or, I'm not really gifted in that. Or maybe we'll say, I don't know how. Oh, no, someone would be better at that than me. 
You know, I tell my boys, I, I tell my boys, I want you to uh, do this. I want you to take that trash out or I want you to do, I want you to clean your room. And sometimes they'll say to me, I can't. And what I've taught them is, if I tell you to do it, that means I believe that you can. In fact, if I tell you to do it because I'm a good dad, I know you can do it. And God is a good father in heaven. And if he tells you to do it, you can do it. So when you say I can't, what does I can't mean? I can't means I don't want to. And I'm not going to because I don't want to. So whenever the Holy Spirit taps on your heart and you say, I can't, you just told God that you don't want to do what He's called you to do and you don't really want His blessing. Because when you say no to the Holy Spirit, you say no to a blessing. Not only were they frozen in lethargy, they were also riddled with apathy. And apathy is similar to lethargy. Apathy... Lethargy says, I don't want to. Apathy says, I don't care. Not only do I not want to, I don't really care. And here's the the problem with all of these churches. Whenever they enter into sin, or they enter into apathy, they enter into unwillingness to do what God has told them to do, they neglect their primary responsibility, which is to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for them. To a lost and dying world out there that desperately needs to hear the gospel. And so what the Lord Jesus tells them is that they're in danger of losing their lampstand. They're in danger of the Holy Spirit just leaving that church and going somewhere else. And that's a scary, terrifying place to be. Past glory does not ensure present faithfulness nor future prosperity. Just because the Spirit of God was in this place today does not mean the Spirit of God will be in this place tomorrow. You hear me, church? We are one generation away from Myrtle Grove Baptist Church ceasing to exist. The church in Sardis was was like a great oak, tall, soaring high above other trees. But it was dead and it was hollow on the inside. Cathedrals in Europe are now empty remnants of the glory days of the church. Great conventions in America, scratching their heads, trying to hold on, struggling, sinking. Churches today, all throughout America, needing a fresh wind of God. People, bodies, filling pews, warming seats, but cold and dead on the inside. But notice what was not there in the church. There was not persecution. Jesus never says anything about persecution. Historically, we don't hear of any persecution happening in the town of Sardis. Nor was there mention of doctrinal error. Now, He does tell them to go back to the gospel and go back to their calling as a church and what He has told them to do. But there's not a a mention of doctrinal error or or fighting hard against doctrinal error. We know that the, the church in Ephesus was fighting hard against doctrinal error. But this church had not. 
There were no sins of commission mentioned. There's no Jezebel in this church. There's no doctrine of the Nicolaitans mentioned in this church. They're, they're not sins of commission. They are sins of omission. Many things that they had been told to do that they neglected, that they said, I will not do. James tells us in James 4.17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. When you neglect to do what the Lord has called you to do, three things happen. You grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God inside of you says, I'm not going to bless this disobedience. Then you rob yourself of, of the blessing of God. Because God wants to bless you. If He tells you to do it, He believes you can do it, He knows you can do it, He's empowering you to do it, and He's going to bless you for it. But if you choose not to obey God, you neglect the blessing. But not only that, you rob the church of the blessing of God. Folks, we need you to serve the Lord Jesus with gladness. I need you to do that because there's something that God has given you that He hasn't given me. And if you neglect it, guess what? You rob me of the blessing of God. And so that's the condition, the complaint against the church. Now secondly though, let's hear the command to the church. So he tells them, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And then verse 2, he's going to give us five commands, five imperatives. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. I think about the day that uh, I was at work at uh, a place called The Park. It was a, an amusement park. You know, places that have the go-kart rides and they have putt-putt golf and they have laser tag and paintball and all that stuff. I think about the time I was there. Now, this is embarrassing to tell this story, but I tell it anyway. I don't care if it embarrasses me to tell it because it, it's a good illustration. I'm supposed to be on the job, and I'm working hard. I mean, it's all the guys are, and, and ladies that are there working hard. We're working the go-kart rides. We're working putt-putt golf. I had, we had one, one drunk guy that was on a go-kart that night, and he ran over somebody. I mean, I got my foot ran over on the go-kart tracks. Uh, there was just, it seemed like busloads and busloads of people coming through, and half of them were just crazy acting. We had to call the police that night. We were exhausted. There were so many people there. And then one at the paintball arena, some of the guys had left from the paintball arena with their paintball markers, had come in, and they had just plastered the in, inside of the paintball area where you rent the guns with paintballs. There were paintballs all over the walls. And it was getting later and later, and I was tired. I was sick and tired of working that night. And we were scrubbing walls and scrubbing the floors and doing all that stuff. And, and when we got finished, my friend and I, my buddy, uh, the guy that had actually gotten me the job there, he said, come on, let's go back here to the back. They, they won't see us. And uh, we went back to the back. We sat down on old go-kart seats. And then we leaned back. And we just dozed off. It couldn't have been more than about 10 minutes maybe. But guess what? We were on the clock. And they were watching. They knew that we had done that. And so get, then the next thing we hear on the radio, Scott, Josh, 
come to my office. And so we sat in, in our supervisor's office, and he lectured us for about 15 minutes. And he said, I'd fire you, he, not so nice terms, I'd fire you right now if I hadn't already fired 10 people tonight. Now get back out there and get to work. And so we had to stay late that night, scrubbing and cleaning. Wake up, he says. Some of you, the alarm goes off. Not me, I don't do this, but you hit the snooze button. Yeah, right, I probably hit it three times this morning, didn't I? (laughs) Hit the snooze button, go back to sleep. Goes back off. Hit the snooze button, go back to sleep. You have to do that. Any, how many of you are with me on that? Is, that? is that your normal routine? There's a few of you. Okay. The rest of you aren't being honest. And so, but here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you, I want you to do this. And you say no. Well, a little later he's going to come again and he's going to say, I want you to do this. And you're going to, all the while you're going to keep on going and pretty soon you're going to realize something's wrong. I don't know what's happening in my life. I just feel distant from God. The Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, it's because I told you to do this, and guess what you're going to do? Hit the snooze button. And you just keep on going. And for some of you in this place, it's been years, maybe decades, and the Lord has told you to do something that you've neglected to do, and you're sleeping When it comes to that particular thing, you're sleeping and you've hit the snooze button a million times on the Holy Spirit and you've told Him, I will not. The command that Jesus gives is to wake up and to say yes to the Holy Spirit. To wake up from your apathy and your lethargy and say, I will no longer stay in this bed of disobedience. I'm going to stop hitting that snooze button. And then he goes on to say, strengthen what remains and is about to die. My grandmother had a green thumb. When one of her plants would begin to die, she would break off all the dead parts of that plant. And then she'd water it. And then she'd give it new soil or replant that plant. And then it would begin to come back. What's the soil and the water that allows the roots to grow strong and deep? In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says it's that being planted and rooted in the Holy Spirit. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Holy Spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And verse 20 says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
As we read what Paul is saying in Ephesians 3, what we understand is that the Holy Spirit inside of us is the one who enables us to do everything for the glory of God. But if we neglect what we've been given, and by the way, we've all been given the Holy Spirit if we believe in Christ. His Spirit has has filled us. We've been born again by His Spirit. Matthew 13, 12, for the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If we neglect the gifting and calling of the Holy Spirit of God, if we neglect that, what he will do is he will take that gift from the person who's unwilling to use it and he will give it to someone else. He will not take his Holy Spirit in the moment that we say yes to the Holy Spirit. Guess what? He'll use us. He'll absolutely use us. But if you're unwilling to use it, He'll give your gift to someone else. You know what happened with Judas? The Bible says, let another one take his place. The Lord will take it and put it into the hands of the one who will use it faithfully. When we use what we have for the Lord, the Lord will multiply it. So if you decide, on the other hand, I am going to use what the Lord has given me. I know that He's put His Holy Spirit within me. And maybe I can't sing like someone in the choir, but I can serve. And maybe I can't cook like Miss Barbara can, but I can wash dishes. There's all kinds of ways that we can serve. And we decide we'll do that. Guess what God will do? He will multiply what we have. Remember the widow's oil in 2 Kings 4 verses 1 through 7? Uh, Elisha says to her, what do you have in the house? And she says, all I have is a little bit of oil. And he says, hey, go get you a couple more vessels and start pouring. And guess what? You're going to have more. And she was able to pay all of her debts with that and then live off of the rest. Remember the loaves and the fish? Jesus said, what do you have? In Matthew 14, he said, well, all we have is just a a few loaves, two fish. Jesus said, bring it to me. Bring it to me. You remember the talents, Matthew 25? Jesus multiplies what we bring to him and what we use for his glory. And as a church, here's the deal. We can say, oh, well, we don't have that much money or we don't have that many people or we don't have this or we don't have that. And we can complain about what we don't have. Or we can talk about what we do have. And what we do have is the Spirit of God who enables everything that we do. And that is absolutely enough. Somebody can say amen to that. We've got to quit worrying about what we don't have as a church and start thinking about what we do have and start using it to the glory of God. The next imperative that he says, he says, wake up, strengthen what remains. And then he says, remember. So there is some remembering that needs to take place, some looking back. And what is the purpose of that? That we look back upon what God has done in our lives. All my life, you have been faithful. Amen. And so we look back on that and we realize that when we were blessed and when we were in those glory days, it was because we were serving the Lord Jesus faithfully. And we can look, go all the way back to the day that you were saved, the day that I was, I was saved. What did the Lord Jesus put on my heart? And what lit my fire back then? What you've received and what you've heard? What is that? The gospel that was preached to you. And what else have you received? Well, you've received a commission. A commission to go for Him. 
The charge and the challenge was given to you then. And it remains today. The next imperative is to keep it. Actively keep what God has commanded for your life. The last imperative is repent. Well, what is repent? Repent is turning from your sin. A change of heart and mind that leads to a change of life. To go in the opposite direction. To turn from that sin to say, I will say no to the sin of disobedience and I will say yes to obeying Jesus. Billy Graham said this, Live your life in such a way that every morning when your feet hit the floor, Satan shudders and says, Oh no, he's awake. Amen. Amen. You got to get up and get going for the gospel and for the glory of Jesus Christ. He wants you to strength, he wants to strengthen you with power from the Holy Spirit. Strengthen your going for him. Strengthen your giving. Some of you, you you've neglected to give to the work of Christ. And he's calling you to strengthen that today and strengthen your glorifying, your worshiping and talking about the Lord Jesus as your God. He wants to fill your heart with faith in Christ and root and ground you in love. And so we see the command. Now we see thirdly the consequences. Now I want you to look at the consequences that he talks about in verse 4. End uh, of verse 3. He says, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Well, those are some strong words. It relates back to the history of Sardis. Foreign enemies had invaded Sardis twice in its history because of its failure to keep watch. They were sleeping. Cyrus of Persia had seized the city. He couldn't capture it from the front. It was too heavily guarded. Raised up on top of the citadel. And the rocks were too steep. But he came around the back way while no one was looking and he gathered his troops at the back wall. And what happened was from history, the legend is that there was a soldier up on the wall and he got a little careless and he got a little clumsy. And even in the midst of the siege, he didn't have his helmet on. Now, any of you that have served in our armed forces, you know that that's something you don't do. You don't put your weapon down. You keep your gear on in the middle of the battle, right? You don't put your helmet down. But his helmet got bumped. And it fell. And it rolled down. Well, he just decided he was going to climb down one of the secret passageways up to the top of the wall. And when he did that, Cyrus, one of his generals, saw that man coming down off that wall and watched the way that he went down and scaled down the wall and got his helmet and went back up. And in that moment, they found the entranceway. Well, the Lord Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis, just like the city of Sardis, I'm going to come and you're not going to know when I'm coming. Jesus talks about this in Matthew's Gospel. and He says when He returns, will He find any who are awake? If Jesus were to come back right now, 
today to this place. Glory to God, Jesus, you can come back today. I'm ready. But if he did, what would he say about you? Would he say that you're ready? Research, according to Tom Rainer, research shows that nearly 8,000 churches close their doors every year. We started out our series by asking, can a church die? Tom, Tom talks about this and he, he talks about a man uh, named Harry Randall Truman. Not President Truman, but Harry Randall Truman, who lived at the base of Mount St. Helen. And if you know the history there, all of the signs and all of the warnings were going off. Scientists were saying, clear out, because Mount St. Helen is going to erupt. One scientist said there is a 100% chance that Mount St. Helen was going to erupt. But Truman didn't heed those warnings. He loved his home. He loved where he lived. He loved it so much that he stayed there. And in May of 1980, Mount St. Helen erupted. And that day, Harry Truman, Harry Randall Truman, died. And Tom likens this to churches today that are hearing the warning signs that they need to repent, they need to wake up, they need to serve the Lord. They were warned, he said. They were facing certain death. They saw every sign, but like Harry Randall Truman, they preferred death to change. And death is what they got. Now he said that in his book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Can a church die? Yes, it can. And this is the consequence of continuing to hit the snooze button on the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, here's a compliment. He saves it to the, to the fourth verse. And he says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Well, as I think about that, I think about whenever I was younger and after church, we'd have our church clothes on and um, my mama did not want us to get down in the dirt, but we would inevitably, we'd roll down the hill in our church clothes. And then we'd get a switching <laughs> for doing that. Why? Because she didn't want us to soil our garments by rolling around in the grass and in the dirt. When you lay down spiritually, you get up with grass stains. And there's a lot that you got to get out of you. A lot of the world that gets stuck to you whenever you lay down spiritually. And you don't even know it's happening. It's a slow fade when we drift away. And so for some of you today, that means some deep, felt, heartfelt repentance, getting right with the Lord. But then he says there's a few in the church that have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, he said. Well, Sardis was known for their woolen garments that were white. But what it emphasized was walking with the Lord. Walking emphasizes life, activity, fellowship with God. When He's walking, we're walking with Him. Paul tells us in Ephesians to walk, Ephesians, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. And then in Colossians, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, he says, walk in a manner worthy of God. And then Paul even talks about running the race. 
of the Christian life. Where in Scripture does it ever say, take a nap? It never says. The church is not dead. The church is alive and well. The true saints of God are filling churches today. They haven't compromised or grown weary of doing good. They are still serving the Lord with gladness. And if that's you today, praise be to God that you're serving Jesus with all that you have. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. God hasn't forgotten you, church, if you're still serving Him faithfully, even if others are sleeping around you. Allison will walk into the room in the hospital. That person's laying in the bed and she'll walk Walk in and she'll introduce herself as the nurse for the day and whatever other preliminary thing she does. But she walks over to the window. She pulls the curtains back. She turns the blinds and lets the light in. She said she gets fussed at a lot by those people in the bed because they don't want to wake up. They don't want the light coming in. They want to stay there in the bed in the dark but what she knows as a nurse is if the light doesn't come in, and she'll, sit, she'll even talk about what kind of day it is outside. Well, it's a beautiful day outside. And she, what she reminds them is they don't belong there in the bed. They don't belong there in the hospital. That's not where they're called to live. They're called to get up, to ambulate, to walk, and to walk out of that hospital and live. The rest of their lives. Not to die there in that bed. So you and I realize, hey, we've got to get up. We've got to go on. We've got to keep serving the Lord. And lastly, you see the confession of those. Now, before the Heavenly Father, what Jesus says, He says in verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Now, He's talking, he's, he's swapping metaphors now because the first part was those that soiled their garments. The ones that wallowed in the mud and got the grass stains on them because they were laying down when they should have been getting up. And then he says there's some that are still in their white garments, meaning the ones that are still serving. And then he says in verse 5, that we'll be clothed in white garments. The one who conquers. Remember, we conquer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of His testimony. As we go out spreading the news of Jesus. And he says that person one day is going to receive a robe of white. The Lord's going to give you. What does it represent? Well, it represents your righteousness. Not that you've earned, but the righteousness that was given to you. Because of the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to you when He died. And you believed in that death, burial, and resurrection. And then he says their names will never be blotted out. The one who sweats and serves and sacrifices to the Lord, the Lord will never forget anything that you've done. And then he goes on to say this. Now this is what I look forward to having happen. For you and me, I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. 
The Lord Jesus is making intercession for you and me. He knows us by name. He began by saying, I know your works. He knows what you've done for Him. He also knows what you've not done for Him that He's called you to do. And so, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed today. For some of you in this place today, you've never begun to serve the Lord. Others here, you've been serving the Lord for a very, very long time. And some of you today, you are spiritually asleep, just like the church of Sardis. And the Lord is telling you to wake up. Wherever you are in that picture, whether you're the one that has kept your garments white and you've been serving, or whether you're the one that you're down in the mud and the dirt today, or maybe you're the one that needs to come to Christ for the first time. Wherever you are, the Lord Jesus is hearing your prayer right now. He hears the prayer of confession. The one who says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. He hears the prayers of needing strength and renewal. He hears that today. And for the one that's coming for the first time, repenting of sin and confessing faith in Christ, He hears your prayer. And I want to lead you in that prayer now. If you, if you would trust Jesus for the first time today, you're saying, Lord, I need You to save me a sinner. Pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Jesus, I admit to You that I am a sinner. I've done what is wrong and I've failed to do what is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that You lived a sinless life. You chose to die on the cross for me, a sinner. I believe You were raised again on the third day and that You're alive today. And so Jesus, I come to You I repent of my sin. I ask You to forgive me. Make me a new person. Save me, Jesus. I pray. I'll spend the rest of my life loving and serving You. And I believe by Your promise that when I die, I'll be with You in heaven. Thank You, Jesus, for saving me. In Your name, Amen. I want you to stand with me now. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that with all your heart, for the first time you're asking Jesus to be your Savior, this invitation is for you. For you to come and and join the family of faith and be encouraged and celebrate what Jesus has done for you. We have resources for you to help you grow. We want to plug you in. We want to help you find a good Bible study group that you can be a part of and get connected with us. We want to offer you believers baptism so that you can seal that statement of faith that you've made to the Lord Jesus. If you need prayer, our altar will be open. Our prayer counselors will be here and we welcome you and we'll pray with you right here. If you want to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as a member 
in full faith and fellowship, we welcome you. This is your invitation as well.